Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers. And most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. One, two, three... Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Well, welcome to The Rap Report. I am your host, Andrew Rappaport, joined by my trusty sidekick, Bud the Wiser. Bud, how are you? I am great, sir. How are you? I am doing better than I deserve. So <clears throat> it's nice to see you. You went to get your hat on, and it's nice to see your hat matches your, your shirt. No no comments yeah. on your T-shirt, just a regular blue T-shirt. That's that's yeah, good. You're no. color-coordinated. Your wife dresses you in the morning? Uh, no, no. I just have an <laughs> innate sense of style, you can tell. <laughs> oh, hey, listen, we, we got an email Uh and folks, if you want to write a review for us, you could. We we always like the reviews because we do these podcasts and we don't hear from you unless you reach out to us. And so we appreciate when you do. And if uh, we haven't, we've got uh, no new reviews this week, but if you want to send us a review, we would appreciate it. There is a link in the show notes to give us a review. And um, so if you wanted to do that, that would be wonderful. And, um, but we did get an email and so should let folks know, uh, how they could, uh, email us as well. First, let me let folks know how to give us a review. Just go to, um, love the podcast, love the podcast.com, love the podcast.com slash rap report. That's rap with two P's. <clears throat> so love the podcast.com slash rap report. If you're listening and you're not following the podcast, just go to followthepodcast.com slash rap report, and you will make sure that that way you get all of the episodes. So that's followthepodcast.com slash rap report. And again, rap report is with two Ps. But you can email us at info at strivingforeternity.org. Info at strivingforeternity.org gets us a, a um, review or an inner email and we check those out and we're going to have two of them we're going to talk about because we got one from bud but 
I got this in the mail, bud, from our church, the, the episode we did on the local church with Steve Ham. Uh, yes. So this was really touching. I sent this to Steve and I asked him, I said, are you as touched and encouraged by this as I am? And he said, yes, I am. So we got this uh, from Michelle. Uh, it says, Andrew, I met you at Cruciform 2020 and loved your presentation on Leviticus. Okay, let me just stop. Yes, I went to a conference and preached from Leviticus, like the entire book of Leviticus. And before you think that is nuts, everybody enjoyed it. It, it was actually the most commented of, of the different talks. Um, that was the one that people remembered. Because they probably because no one actually reads Leviticus, doesn't have a good handle on Leviticus. The topic of that year's conference was on holiness. So everyone was mentioning holiness from like the New Testament, referring back to Leviticus, but no one dealt with Leviticus. Well, I dealt with Leviticus. Went through the entire book of Leviticus in one hour. It was fun. I, I do that in some churches in a Sunday school time. And, and every time I've done that talk, people have loved it because. What Leviticus does, when you look at it in a, in a broad spectrum, you do an overview and you start looking for key words that are repeated throughout the book, you see the gospel presented very, very clearly. I will argue that the gospel is presented most clear in the book of Leviticus than any other Old Testament book. Because that's a it, bold statement. That's a bold statement, I know. But when you look at the gospel and then you look at that book and look at the—it's it, all about purity, keeping pure— uh, the idea that we can't save ourselves, we, we can't atone for ourselves, but God has to do that for us. It, it's all laid out, and he does it because he's God, he's holy. So that's that's throughout the book. That's a real high level. Maybe, maybe one episode will do that. I think I might have dropped that as an episode here. But So she says, I met you at, at Cruciform 2020 and loved your presentation in Leviticus. I will never read it the same again, exclamation point. And that has been the comment most people have said with that. I admit, I didn't start listening to your podcast right away. My loss, exclamation point. And so, folks, if, if you enjoy this podcast, share it with others so that they don't miss out either. Let them know if you've gained a lot. But here's, here's the key of what she's saying. Check this out. This morning, I was listening to your interview with Steve Ham about the local church and feeling very convicted of the needs to thank my pastor for his labor of love for our church body. When I stopped at my favorite local coffee shop and grabbed uh, to grab my pickup order, there was my pastor. I went inside and thanked him for his love to our, of our local church and then proceeded to cry the rest of the way to work. I hate crying. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I like that you put that in there. Yeah. I'm, I am so blessed by a Bible-teaching pastor, a group of elders who support him, and love the body right next to him, and their wives who are always encouraging the women of the church in godliness. Thank you for reminding me that while I have radio personalities and preachers I like to listen to, Jeremy is the one who cries with my family and celebrates with us and prays for us and thinks of us when preparing his sermons. That I'm almost teared up again just reading that. That, that, is, that was probably one of the more touching emails that we've gotten in a, in a, in a while. Um, That's wonderful. So and, and it emphasizes the importance of your local church. There's all kinds of things that can supplement, but nothing can replace that. And, and she's speaking exactly to the things that we understand 
Christ has built his church and is building his church for. Yeah. I mean, you know, we do this show, folks, for you guys, and we really don't know the impact. We don't know, we, unless we hear from you, we don't know. And we get messages like that. I actually have a folder in my email that I keep um, just for things like that. And um, just when, when I'm at points where I'm like, oh, this is, this is so much work. I don't feel like doing it. I don't think it's impacting anybody. I mean, I can look at the number of downloads, but I don't know if it's actually impacting people. And then I get something like that. <clears throat> and those are things when, when I'm kind of sad or whatnot, I, I go back to and I look at that and I just, you know, I read through those and it's so encouraging. And uh, I, I'm just so glad for this Pastor Jeremy that he has someone in his congregation who values the, the labor of love that he does. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that episode with, with Steve Ham on the local church, I encourage you to do that. It was, it was really good to talk with him. So you you got an email because you have a podcast as well that just dropped the first three episodes dropped of the Bud Zone, and and, and you're even getting email. I, I was shocked this morning. I, I got an email and and it was like not <laughs> argumentative or anything. It was uh, very nice. It said uh, from from Don says, Bud, would you like to cover the topic of Bible translation in your podcast? Uh, yeah. 7,000 languages are spoken, and less than 700 have a complete Bible. Today, the Bible translation efforts are through partnership with local churches in Africa and Asia, countries that are almost closed to Christianity. Let me know if you'd like one of our team to talk about it, Don, with Wycliffe Associates. Yeah. Uh, I've replied to Don. That, that'll be interesting. I would love to have a conversation about the work and ministry that they're doing to get the Word of God, a topic which I think we're discussing today, mm-hmm. yeah. to the nation. You know, Wycliffe, um, it actually, if I remember correctly, I think that, that it started at America's Keswick, which is a addiction counseling place I used to uh, counsel at. And uh, they also have a conference retreat center, and it actually started when Someone, a couple of people were just up all night praying because they were so discouraged that there weren't uh, languages or the Bible and languages of, of different people around the world. And they stayed and prayed. And then in the morning, uh, they canceled the conference that they were supposed to have and just prayed about that. And that's how I believe that started. But wow. let's let's get to the in the news section of our podcast before we get started on, on the main topic. I, I got something in the news that I think oh, no. It, no 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 you are going you're going to enjoy this. Uh, oh, this okay. is really good. So the 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 title is government must pay eight hundred thousand dollars in legal fees to church for COVID nineteen overreach. This is from the Epoch News. I'll I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, if you don't subscribe to Epoch News, you you could you should if you want to get some good conservative news. Uh, by the way, this isn't American news. This was started in. Uh, I believe Hong Kong, um, with their fighting of China's communism, and so you'll, you'll see that in the Epic New, Epoch News, uh, very hard line against uh, <laughs> China. Uh, they always refer to it as the, the CCP virus, uh, but it's, it is really interesting here. So here's here's the details. I mean, one of the things that they focused in on is when <clears throat> a state or county or even federal government sue you or, or, or you know. You, do like in this case the restrictions and you you sue them as grace community church did typically the result is the courts will say you've overreached and that's the end of it you still have to pay your eight hundred thousand dollars in legal fees now 
I, I don't know if the eight hundred thousand. It's it says it's in legal fees. I don't know if there were damages. I don't know if Grace Community Church said there were any damages. I mean, they just they really just continued as, as moving on. One thing I would argue would be a damages. Uh, for folks that don't know, Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur is the pastor, uh, refused to close down once they realized that uh, the protests were allowed, that they were writing laws to close churches, but open uh, bars and restaurants and strip clubs and uh, protesting uh, Black Lives Matter was allowed in mass without masks and no social distancing. But they would try, and they were trying everything to work with the government. They were trying to have church outside. They were, but under the same rules as were allowed for the protesters, but they were kept getting shut down. And it was a thing, uh, I do know people over there, so it was an interesting thing. Every every Monday they would send out an email to their church saying this is what we're going to try to do. And then by like Thursday or Friday, the government would shut it down mm-hmm. and and pass a bill or do something. So it was clear that they were being targeted. And <clears throat> so at that point, they just said, that's it. We're, you know, this is discrimination. This is against our, first, our freedom of speech. They did this different than many others are fighting the case. And in, in doing so, what they ended up doing was fighting on, on the issue of, of freedom of speech. Now, granted, they do have uh, at least two judges that I know personally in the church. They have several lawyers. I think they have uh, at least one judge that is on the board of elders, but they have a you know, within the church, they have a legal team that I think consists of uh, two judges and and th- uh, four lawyers. So they, they got some legal minds within their own church. Not yeah. every church has that, but but they handled it very well, uh, so well that the, the Epoch News is focusing on something that happened with this is the fact that the state and the county each had to pay $400,000 in legal fees. That's not typical. Now, that is typical, bud, for people that may not know some of the law. In in business law, if you and I made a contract, uh, obviously in this scenario we'd be unbelievers that we're going to go to court. But uh, so, so two unbelievers, two people have a contract of agreement. If, once, if one breaches the contract, in other words, you have an agreement, one breaks it, the person who did not break the contract can – can then sue for the breach of contract. But part of breach of contract, because the person who breached it, an agreement, they breached it, then they're allowed to go not only after the person, but after the person for legal fees. Now, the the only way that's really allowed in the law is when you have an agreement and someone breaks it, okay? Other than that, you usually pay your own legal fees. Now, the, the article points out that places like the United Kingdom and Canada allow for the, the, if, if someone is unsuccessful in a lawsuit, then you can go, uh, you get the legal fees covered. Now, that is biblical, and that's where that comes from. And I, I actually believe that should be the law of the land in the United States as well, because you have so much frivolous lawsuits. If someone was to sue somebody, then what ends up happening is it's frivolous. If, if they fail, then they're going to have to pay the legal fees. I think that would stop these cases where the woman got paid, what, three and a half three or three million three and a half million dollars because she put a coffee cup of mcdonald's in her lap at the at the drive-thru and then stopped short and because she stopped short her her legs pushed together and it it poured on and it was hot and she won from mcdonald's because they got money um uh was it eight hundred thousand dollars to a woman who was driving a winnebago and she put it in well we would call this you know cruise control she thought it was autopilot. So she went in the back to make a sandwich and went off the road. And 
the jury actually said they awarded her just because, you know, Winnebago had the money. <clears throat> well, I don't think those two women would have sued had they had there been the fear that if it was if they lost, they would have to pay the legal fees of these companies. I, I actually think that's a good policy. It, it you know, it, it now the reason we don't do it is there's some you know people who don't have the money to pay the legal fees go up against a big you know company with a big lawyer. They may lose and then you know they get victimized twice and that's so it, it there is a balance there but <clears throat> in this case they got paid the legal fees which was which is why epoch news saw it as is interesting because it's it's unusual but here's the key and this is why i want to bring this up in our in the news section so many churches so many uh big evangelicals were critical of john MacArthur when he would not close when he opened up and he made a case for others to do the same, to say, look, this is against the, the, we do live in America, we do have freedom of speech, we do have a freedom to assemble, that's in the Constitution, and being in the Constitution, we have the right to do this. And so, that was the basis of their argument. Now, this is different than the way a lot of churches were arguing over COVID restrictions, and that's why many churches were losing court cases. The, the way Grace Community Church did it was over the First Amendment. They made it a constitutional issue. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting that came out of this lawsuit that occurred is not only, from, from looking at this, did they have to pay back 800000 which, by the way, the they Grace Community Church was being fined $1,000 a week. So when this started, they had to put $1,000 a week in escrow. So they kind of just now get, you know, where the church has been paying out all the, this legal fees, they now get $850,000 that suddenly comes in. in the same, I mean, it's not just free money. It's money that is paying the, the fees. Now, I don't know one of the things that the, the reason that they ended up having the state and the county had to pay was because they, it was proven that this was you know, that they were targeting them. This was retaliation. And I didn't see anything in the article referring to the parking lot situation. I do want to ask some folks out there if they got the parking lot back, because they, they, they had leased the parking lot for like 30 years. And over this issue, suddenly when they were, their parking lot was taken away. When they, as soon as they, they said that they were going to open, as soon as they challenged the county, the county just decided, you know, the county actually tried to get them, the police to arrest them. And, and the, the church has such a good working relationship with the local police that the sheriff said, you could pass the bill, but no, we're not enforcing it. Like, no one's going to Grace Community Church and arresting Pastor John MacArthur. So it was like yeah. the, the county and the governor tried passing laws against them, and that didn't work so well. Um, but the thing that's interesting with this is not only did they have to pay the, the sum of money, but also in this is, is an injunction that the state and the county uh, start state and the federal can never do this again. They cannot shut down churches again, or actually houses of worship, not just not just churches. So, so this was, and and that's actually one of the reasons um, when you you look at uh, what happened with the um, the 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 parking lot being taken away. It was really interesting because when that was taken away, there's a there's a. Um, uh, Right by them is a, is a synagogue, and they that's that they tried to work with in the past, but it, it didn't work out. Well, the interesting thing with this is that once John MacArthur's church, Grace Community Church, stood up and and took a stand, that and and they lost their parking lot. 
the synagogue contacted the church and said, hey, would you want to use our... Now, granted, they went from 250 parking spaces to 75, but the synagogue said, hey, do you want to use our building on Sunday even? So, so now they have extra classroom space, which they had, they were actually praying about. They, they needed more classroom space. So it really has been a good working relationship there. Uh, but this, what happened, actually helps that synagogue as well, because now they can't have these kind of targeted uh responses where they shut down houses of worship anymore because of this case. So this case had a broader uh, thing uh, on the entire state of California and the federal government. That doesn't mean individual states can't, but it, what it does mean is that uh, they can't do this again to some other church, at least in California or the federal government. So this, this is a big win uh, for, for more than just Grace Community Church. Um, you know, and so th- this is something we should be rejoicing in uh, for, 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 you know, those who are Christians. Um, so, so that's, that's our in the news section. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. I don't know if you've read the article. No, I think it's just very uh, providential the way the Lord orchestrated all this with the faithful folks out there like John MacArthur um, and the elders at Grace, because, you know, I don't know of a more liberal place in america maybe your former state but california is just extreme extremely liberal socially politically liberal but what was interesting and i and i don't have a link right now that i can provide to you i read an article about this that um was surprising to me that the california state constitution has actually a more robust um protection for speech and religion than even the U.S. Constitution. So that's kind of a, an unknown thing. So this comes out with, with all that MacArthur and those guys did um, in a place that has really strong support for uh, churches, worship, houses of worship, like you said, and the freedom of speech. Uh, kind of uh, ironic that uh, it happened there, but certainly a wonderful precedent and that was great and i was going to say about the parking lot thing and i think it was phil johnson uh, i saw a comment from somewhere that they did get the parking lot back too oh did they um, okay so, so that was good i guess it rescinded it along with all the other fees that were in escrow and nonsense so praise the lord for that that was great news yeah. Now this is a little bit longer of an in in the news section that, segment that we usually do, but I thought that that took some. It, 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 I think this is an important enough of a thing because, you know, one of the things is is that this permanent injunction barring government officials from ever again imposing discriminatory restrictions on houses of worship. This is something if if your local church is is being discriminated against by your state or county. You need to go get a hold of the you know folks here. Uh, the Thomas More Society is, is I guess, who is the special counsel, um, and so the you know get a hold of these people. Get the the how they how Grace Community Church fought this and do the same uh, because the, now there's precedent, and that's the thing with courts. They do it based on precedent. Now there's precedent, so uh, hopefully states and counties. Uh, and federal government will be less likely, although with our current president, I mean, he admits he doesn't have legal authority and then just goes ahead and does it anyway. Uh, so, well, you, I, I, you know, he's the current resident. Well, no, he is he is technically president. OK, 
because in our in our system, the the electors have selected him. Now, here's here's the thing. There's a lot of people who want to say that Biden's not president. We know he didn't win the election. That we know, right? I mean, that there's, mathematically, it's impossible. It just, it, 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 if this was flipped, the, the news would be all over it. How do you stop all the voting in the middle of the night and suddenly 138 ballots, 100% for Biden? It's just, you know, and, and you're seeing it in, in, in the, the Arizona has shown fraud. Um, so, but here's the thing. There were people who were arguing that the electors should ignore the vote because of the fact that there was fraud and vote for Trump. Now, had they done that, would you hear anyone saying that on the conservative side that Trump is taking the, you know, just taking that position? You know, no, they would say he's president. Why? Because the electors voted and the Democrats would be the ones saying he's not legitimate. So he is legitimately the the president. It's just we disagree on how on the on the reason that the electors chose. Okay. Oh, I don't doubt. I, I don't deny that he is the office holder. This <laughs> question who's what, actually in charge. The, the question is legitimacy. <clears throat> I understand. So what we want to do, t- uh, not just today, and I <clears throat> I'm going to admit, but I have no grandiose ideas that we're going to get through the first and smallest section of this today. But we want to start a series. And so we're going to go through this series. What we're going to do, I'll put a link to um, this in the show notes, but we're going to go through a systematic theology, just an overview. What we're going to do is go through the doctrinal statement of striving for eternity. And so if you go to striving for eternity... Under the about section, it says what we believe. That's what we're going through. We're going to go section by section, explaining these things, and we're going to start today with holy scriptures. That's the first section. It's actually the shortest section. Now, these sections that we have there, I've tried to be as concise as possible. It is kind of funny, bud. When when I was in seminary, I, I took my theology classes, and I decided to. It now is the best time for me to write a doctrinal statement, because you're going to need one eventually in ministry. Let me try to be as as concise, but give enough detail as I possibly can. And so my wife was, you know, I, I was working, trying to make sure I have, I have a detailed doctrinal statement that I was working on that I wanted as detailed as possible. And uh, my wife was, was asking me, so uh, this was when I was in my class on soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. So I still the doctrine of the church and doctrine of end times or eschatology to go. And I was working on it. And it was really funny because my wife is, said, how many pages is your doctrinal statement right now? I'm like, oh, about 75 to 90. <laughs> and she's like, she goes, that's your statement? I said, yeah. She goes, you try to write a statement and it's a book. She goes, you try to write a book, it, it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a series, you know? <laughs> So she's like, you try to write a series, it'll be the, you know, the encyclopedia. Yeah, well, you did write that book, by the way. (laughs) I did, and it turned out that I did write that book, What Do We Believe? Is it really, actually, What Do We Believe, for the most part, is my doctrinal statement, for the most part. You know, there's actually some things I didn't include in the book, because my detailed doctrinal statement, I get into the doctrine of man and reasons against abortion and, and things like that of how some of the, 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 the really detailed views affect, uh, you know, was, you know, and really when you think about when man is created, and we'll get to that when we talk about the doctrine of man, it affects 
you know the the view you're going to have for abortion. I have I have more in 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 like just in notes. But yeah, you're right. It did become a book, which is about 200 pages. <laughs> so yeah, let me. I have a question. Have you had to pull like a? Uh, has this been litanized like an Ed Litton? Where yeah, you there are something yeah, because you had it wrong or no? Not because I had it wrong. Hey, you wrote it. It's not copy and um, pasted. Th- no, there are there are some, there are some sections, uh, especially under eschatology. Which is probably my weakest area. The area I study the least in in uh, systematic theology. Uh, that I, I I grabbed a lot of it from Grace to You because I'm I am very much in line with them. And there's some things I couldn't write better uh, for my own church doctrinal statement. Um, we actually uh, use the the uh, I think we use pretty much Grace Community Church's doctrinal statement, except for one addition that I put in, which. Uh, I need to add to Striving Fraternities is a section on uh, marriage, divorce, um, you know, dealing with homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage, I should say, uh, transgenderism, things like that. You know, I, I need to beef up the section of man to explain some of that, because now that's an issue nowadays we have to do. Uh, so there are sections, there's, there's a couple sections um, under soteriology, uh, if I remember correctly, that I, I just, I could not get it as concise as they did at Grace Community Church. Yeah. And so the the goal was not to be like, oh, this is me. Um, but there's there are some points where I could not get it more concise, and that was the goal of it. I mean, as is, you print this out, it's, I think, 10 to 12 pages. Yeah, I think 12 I printed this morning. Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny when I used to candidate at churches and they'd ask for a doctrinal statement, and they'd be like, ah, uh, yeah, you gave us a doctrinal statement. Like the, one, one, one person said, you know, we usually get one page, maybe two. Yeah. <laughs> and it's well, like, well, I want you to— I wanted to point out, I, I don't know where you're going with all this, and I don't want to interrupt your— your theme here, your your logic, but I think believers need to understand the importance of researching this kind of thing if they're looking at another church, if they are looking to support a ministry. It is imperative that you understand what their doctrinal statement is and whether it not only aligns with Scripture, but whether you can support it. And there may be secondary, tertiary issues that you may have some disagreement on, but fundamentals need to be precise. And, and I think that's what you've done here. But, yeah, it, I think far too – I mean, you've got the president of the Southern Baptist Convention that I joked about earlier who had no clue that he had heresy on his church's doctrinal statement. Seriously? Hello, hello. <laughs> this unimportant to you. Doctrine is that unimportant. Uh, terrible. It's very important. And so these things are useful tools, and they're useful sources to ask questions and inquire and also learn from. So don't disregard uh, doctrinal statements from churches or ministries that you may support or or rely on. Well, and and this is the thing that I find is you go to most church websites, and they give you a—I mean, some it's just one paragraph doctrinal statement. We believe in in the Bible. We believe in God. You know, it's like, no description there, no definition. No, you're not dealing with. Okay, what differentiates your church from other churches? How do I know what you when I come there? What you actually believe? And yeah. this was the thing I didn't want to do with striving for eternity. I wanted it to be detailed. I wanted it to be something that we could that people can go and say, I know what they. I, even if you disagree with us, this is what they hold to. 
what they believe. Yeah, but you're right. I've seen some of these doctors, like the way you're talking about we believe the Bible. I mean, some of these things are so broad that Satan could drive a semi through it. Um, come on, you need to be precise. There's there's more to it, and that's what you've done here, yeah, even and, though it's 12 pages. Well, and I've tried to be concise. <clears throat> I mean, that's the thing, but you need to be detailed enough to explain these differences. So, folks, if, if you're going to a church, you're going to go visit a church, the first thing you should do is look at their doctrinal statement. And this is the first thing when people ask me about a church. That, oh, hey, you know, I'm thinking of going to this church. You know, what do you think about it? First thing I do, look at their doctrinal statement. If they don't have a doctrinal statement on their website, that's a concern. Yeah. Now, I'll give a caution with this, though. You have churches that have a perfectly fine doctrinal statement, but that's not what they believe or practice. Um. One of the arguments, uh, we'll, we'll deal with this on, on uh, Apologetics Live. Justin Peters and I are going to address Sam Storms, who is critical of people like Justin, who say you shouldn't be listening or playing uh, Bethel music, Hillsong music, Jesus culture in your church. One of the arguments is, but Bethel's doctrinal statement is fine. Well, it's so generic that it doesn't really give the details of the errors. So it goes. So what people do is go, well, look, they believe in the Trinity, so that must be fine. Okay, they also believe Jesus was born again in hell. Do you, you know, like, so that what they do is they put a statement that everyone can believe. Why? Because some people want to deceive. So they don't want to define what they mean. You'll see this with cultic groups. You know, the Mormons will say they believe in the Trinity, totally different definition of the Trinity than we would have as believers. Totally different. But they would say we believe in the Trinity. Yes, they just believe that the God the Father was a separate being who was physical, had flesh, became God. So, you know, it, it's so it's so off. So you have to realize that you need to be precise, you need to dig in deep, you need to get definitions. And that's why we have such a detailed doctrinal statement, and why we want to spend the time to go through this. Because one, we want to educate you guys on what should we be looking at theologically. Now, I'm going to say at the outcast of this start of the series, some of you may disagree with the positions that we at Striving for Eternity take. Okay, some of these are going to be there, there's going to be some, as you'll see, we get toward the end where Bud and I have differences. Okay. Some of those differences are just, this is where we take a stand. That doesn't mean this is what all Christianity takes a stand. So what am I saying there? There are some areas that are non-negotiable. You deny them, you are not converted to Christ. You're not a Christian. Right. Those are primary issues, issues we should be willing to die for. But then there's secondary issues that we can, convictions, we feel very, very strongly about them. Not going to die over them, but there are going to be things that we could differ, but still have fellowship. We don't need to split over, but we may not go to the same church. I mean, there's going to be people who go to Presbyterian churches versus me going to a Baptist church. I, I wouldn't have a hard time being a member of a Presbyterian church because of our differences, but they're still brothers in Christ, and I'm still going to be able to work alongside them in, in a lot of different ministries, okay? And so those are secondary issues. Then we have tertiary issues, third-level issues uh, I call, you know, preferences. And these you shouldn't even fight over, okay? So first one, you die for. Those are your beliefs. Your convictions, you fight over, but you don't separate. The, the quarter ones you're going to separate these you're not going to separate and then your preferences let's not even fight over them okay so Except translation if you're not using the nasb 
you're probably in trouble. You say that now, but I bet that once... <laughs> Once the legacy standard comes out, you're going to change, my friend. I'm actually, I've switched to that for my See? New Testament stuff. See? Because so. <laughs> you're not using the NASB 2020, I'm sure. No, so, no. Um, so, but but you see, these are the things where some of these things, some people make take it stronger than others. And, and, and that becomes a thing that I just want to encourage you to think about because, you know, when when we do this, when we have these discussions, especially online, folks, you, you go online, man, there mm. are people who are fighting over stuff that just, they shouldn't be. And, and so much fighting that's going on that really it, it's, it's over secondary or tertiary issues, not primary issues. And I just wish that people would, would stop fighting so much, stop trying to prove they're right and and try to understand what someone else's position is what what do they believe understand what they believe in context understand what they what their position is without misrepresenting it and so i I, i'll recommend to you guys to if you go to uh, look up do theology it's part of the christian podcast community Uh, if you go to christian podcast community go to shows you'll see do theology their entire podcast is based off this idea of what we're talking about. They have a chart that they that they refer to, a theological chart that they have in, in their episodes, and what they're doing is working through that chart. What is a primary, secondary, thirdary issue, okay? And that's what they're doing. And so this is this is something you need to know, okay, where do we where do we look with that? How do we how do we examine these things? But the reason I wanted to do this is is so that if you do uh, start to look for a church, or maybe you're at your church. A, a lot of times, I get questions. We get a lot of emails at Striving Fraternity with people who are struggling with the church they're in. Uh, something's going on. Something's happening. They just, you know, I've had just this past week someone calling because they're like, I, I, I'm trying to understand if this is actually biblical. I have this is the situation going on in our church. Is the, is this something to leave the church over? Now, in, in that particular case. It probably is. Uh, that church, from their side of the story, now notice how I said that. There's always two sides of the story. From their side of the story, it sounds like the church is becoming very controlling in, in a bad way, very patriarchal, where wives can't even speak, you know, they, women can't speak in the church supposedly at all, uh, not even to sing. And and so no no women speaking. Okay, well, that's, that's bad news. Uh, but even in the home, uh, women are not allowed to speak. Yeah. And so they're not allowed to teach children in church or teach other women in church. Um, and there are, there are, that is happening more and more. I dealt with another that's getting a church similar in that way, uh, not to that extreme yet. And so things like that become where you're, you're now denying the women the ability to use their gifts in the church as commanded by God. And that's the difference. Now the church leadership is violating the commands of God for the sake of their patriarchal system. Now, if yeah. that if that becomes the case, then yeah, if if you're being denied your what God commands, then yes. I mean, this is the same thing with the government. You know, I'm going to be dealing with this. And uh, for those that follow Striving for Eternity, uh, you know that uh, at my church, Grace and Truth Bible Church. Um, in Bucks County, we we have a Wednesday night Bible study that right now I still make available at Striving Fraternity uh, on the YouTube channel and Facebook, and we 
you know, I'm going to be dealing with the government this week and our submission to government. That's going to be a, a tough one uh, for some folks. And, and so, but the issue there is if the, if the government tells you to do something that is against the word of God, that's commanded in the word of God, you disobey the government. It's, a, it's when it's not specifically against the word of God that we have the issues that we need to, to look at. And so, uh, but where, where are we going to know that? What are we, what's going to be our, our standard? Well, we need to have some understanding of theology. Okay. The first course that I usually teach, uh, folks is hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible, why. So we know how to rightly handle the Bible. But once we do, the next course that I end up teaching is systematic theology. Why? Because once you know how to handle interpretation, you need to take the whole Bible and look at it as a whole and start categorizing it in these different categories. So there's seven main categories we have on the website at Striving for Eternity. So the, that we have that we're going to look at. And this is going to be a series of podcasts that we're going to do. We may break it up with some special ones here and there as need be. And we're, we're not going to deal with one whole section a week because there's just too much. But it, Holy Scriptures is one. God, angels, man, soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, the church, and eschatology, which is doctrine of last things. <clears throat> now, each of them, of course, have have more... Uh, bigger names we could use, bibliology uh, for Holy Scriptures, theology proper for all of God. We could break the, the th- break it down to theology proper, Christology, which is the study of Christ, pneumonology, which is the study of the Spirit, angelology, anthropology, soteriology, eschatology, uh, ecclesiology. E- each of these different ones, I, I reversed the last two, sorry about that, but... Uh, each of these have, it's a study of something, okay? And what we want to do is look at bibliology. Now, there's an order to these, by the way. Um, If you see that the first one is Scripture, why do we start there? Now, I'm starting here with a doctrinal statement because this is where we're going to base the rest of everything on. How do we know about the study of God, angels, man, salvation, church, end times? It comes from the Word of God. So we start with the Word of God. Now, if you take our class at the Striving Fraternity Academy on systematic theology, you'll notice I start with with theology proper, the study of God. Why do I do that? Well, in that class, I explain why. Uh, We wanted to start there because all of our theology is going to be based on the attributes of God. That's where a starting point. So, where we did there was we put bibliology down after soteriology, or, you know, after we get through some of those things. Why? Um, because there what we we're trying to do was focus in on getting people to, in that class, we didn't want to overwhelm them with getting deep into some, some details of the, of the Word of God that, you know, we're, we're starting really an entry level, and so we wanted to start with the attributes of God, because that would greatly impact people, uh, in in the way that we want to lay that course out. And so there's a difference there if you take that course why we did it different in our doctrinal statement. So in just that's that's a an overview intro uh for the series, but I don't know if there's anything you'd like to add. No, I would just say that in your in your series of teaching that doesn't contradict what you've done here because everything that you're teaching prior to the time that you get to bibliology is based on scripture. So it's drawn from that. Um, and I, and I particularly liked how you started this this uh, first portion of the statement 
about the Bible being God's special revelation because in very broad categories, we only have two. We have natural revelation and we have special revelation. And the details come uh, in particularly <laughs> for our uh, understanding of salvation. The details come in that special revelation, which is Scripture. And, and this is going to be a thing, we're, like even this, there's, this is, like I said, we're very concise in this, but what I want to take these podcast episodes is to explain some of, unpack this statement for you. So, but would you mind doing us a favor and reading the, all three paragraphs, uh, read the section on Holy Scriptures, even though we, we, we won't make it through too far of all of them, but read that we're first paragraph. Through three sentences, I think. Yeah, I think we'll get the first, the first paragraph. Okay, so <laughs> maybe which which within <laughs> itself is is uh, what three sentences. So that, that you're right. We we may just I get. Mean, to I've that. got comments before we even get to the first comma in the first sentence. <laughs> so, anyway, I'll I'll, uh, I'll read this. Uh, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible is God's special revelation, which is limited in space and time, and are directed to various designated individuals. Second Peter one twenty one. The accepted writings that make up the Bible are the 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books without any of the additional writings commonly known as the Apocrypha. The Bible provides the only inerrant and absolutely authoritative propositional knowledge of God that exists. The Bible is inspired by God. Inspiration is that supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in which he superintended, controlled and directed, the reception to the writers, and communication to the hearers and the readers of the divine message to mankind such that the product, the original writing, is verbally, every word, and plenary, completely, both inerrant, without error, and authoritative, from 2 Timothy 3.16. God spoke in his written word by a process of dual authorship. The Holy Spirit so superintended the human authors that through their individual personalities and different styles of writing, they composed and recorded God's word to man, Second Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. They did this without error in the whole or in the part, according to Matthew five eighteen and Second Timothy three sixteen, thus making the scriptures completely and totally sufficient for life and godliness. The only means of interpreting Scripture is a literal, grammatical, and historical interpretation which affirms the belief that the opening chapters of Genesis present creation in six literal days, Genesis 131, Exodus 31:17, and seeing a distinction between Israel and the church. The Bible constitutes the only infallible rule of faith and practice, and you have numerous verses there that folks need to go check. Whereas there may be many applications of any given passage of Scripture, there is but one true interpretation according to God. The meaning of Scripture is to be found as one diligently applies the literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation under the illuminating of the Holy Spirit. It is the responsibility of believers to ascertain carefully the true intent and meaning of Scripture, recognizing that proper application is binding on all generations. Yet the truth of Scripture stands in judgment of men. Never do men stand in judgment of it." Okay, so so we're, and we're not going to get through this whole thing. I understand. Okay? I have no delusions in that. Um, but I do want us to, to, to look at this 
sentence by sentence and, and break this down because there's there is a lot here in this that I'm being very specific. Now, why am I saying this? Because some of these things and what we're going to deal with today, we're going to eat every word of this is targeted to do one of two things. Be very specific in what we believe or answer some heresy that someone else believes, okay? I am trying to make distinction here. So let's start with the, really, like you said, to the first comma. The Bible is God's special self-revelation. So let's stop there and look at this. What we're saying there is that this this is something that is, the only way we can know God is if he reveals himself to us. Now, there is a difference between, and you already mentioned this and alluded to this, is the difference between general revelation and special revelation, okay? General revelation, we can look at the stars, we can look at creation. Just had Jason Lyle on Apologetics Live. He's talking, I mean, just things that blow your mind with astronomy. Mm -hmm. And you look at this and go, wow. And we can know something about our creator, God. We know, we know something about his attributes. This is Romans chapter 1. We can see that he exists. Creation reveals that. We can see that he is a God of great design. We could see something about his attributes. But we can't know about salvation. That's specific to the scriptures. So this is special. This is something we would have no other way. This is not natural. So the difference we make is between natural and special, or natural and supernatural. But I prefer natural and and special. Yeah. Uh, Because I would would argue that what we call nature is supernatural in a sense. God created it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Miraculous. I, I would just point people to Psalm 19, where you've got a concise summary from David of both those categories of revelation. And I actually, I think that's actually what Paul uh, is alluding to in Romans 1, is back to, to Psalm 19. Oh, yeah. uh, Psalm 19 is, is, it is, Psalm 19 is very concise. I think that Psalm 119 is just taking Psalm 19 and exploding it out. Yeah. And so the point here, though, is that the Bible is, it comes from God, and we're going to deal with this much more next episode, but because we're going to get into a thing called superintending, very, very important doctrine to understand. It answers a lot of issues when it comes to sanctification. We'll talk about that. And, and the Calvin and Arminianism debate, when we talk about next week, will, is what helps most people resolve the debate on Calvinism and Arminianism. Uh, and so we'll talk about that next week. But as we look this week, this is God revealing himself to us. Therefore, can this be trusted in explaining who God is? You see, when man writes about God, and this is when people think that the Bible's just man's word, man writing down their, their impression of God, what ends up happening there is you have a man-made God. Then you look at the Greeks and the, the, the Romans and their, all their deities, you end up seeing that their, their deities are very much like man. The thing, though, is, is that that is man's interpretation of God. So what we're saying is the Bible is different. It is not man's interpretation of who God is. It is God revealing to man who God is. And there's a difference there. Bud, you said you had some comments up to that section, so I'll throw it over to you. I've covered them. You've already done oh, Okay, it. we've covered them. Okay. Well, well, then if that's the case, let's move on. <clears throat> this is very specific now. I say the Bible is God's special self-revelation, which is limited in space and time, 
and are directed by very uh, directed to various individuals. Okay, now very imp- huh? I said that's very important. Oh yeah, Th- this is this is important because what we end up seeing here is w- what am I trying to address? What are, one of the things I'm trying to address here is some of the other false religions that will teach that the Bible is eternal. You'll see this in rabbinic Judaism. You will see this in uh, Islam, okay, as well as some others, that they will say that the, the God's Word, the Bible, the Scriptures, came down from heaven. In other words, they were written in heaven. Now, why does this become important? That part of it is important to understand because this is where, like, for example, Islam or Judaism have themselves a problem. What what happens is, is that they end up saying that God's word is eternal. Therefore, there can't be variances. There can't be, when they would make copies, there can't be a copyist error, or it's not the, the scriptures anymore. So the argument they make is, well, you have all these you know, variances in the Christian Bible, so you don't have God's Word. Well, we don't have old enough copies of, you know, that go back of the Old Testament, but we do know there's some variances um, that we have in there. We just can't get old enough copies to see which one is right or or that. Uh, so for example, in Kings and Chronicles, one refers to uh, Solomon having, I forget the number, but X number of, you know, chariots and X number and Y number of 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 men, and in the other it says Y number of chariots and X number of men. The numbers are reversed. Which one's right? Does it affect anything? No. But that happens. In the Quran's case, there are different variances. They deny it. In Arabic, they'll deny it, but there are different translations. Even today, in the different areas, there are variances. Well, that becomes a problem. We don't have a problem in Christianity, because God never said that his word, as written, is eternal. His word is eternal because, you know, it is him. It's, it's, you know, he speaks it. But the Bible, the scriptures were never promised that they would never, that they themselves would never have a variant in them, that they were somehow eternal. So they are, they are limited to space and time. That's what that means there. And you go, you, you may have read this and read over that and they've been like, Okay, it's limited to space and time. Well, it's it's more it's 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 all of this fact that it's not eternal. That this is this is a special book written for us. Will we need it in in heaven? Maybe not. But it it the the idea of space and time means it's for us now. Right. And this is also leading to something that get that we could end up discussing is the progression of scripture. Meaning. When you look at, if, if the Word of God is eternal, as they say, then why didn't God give us the whole thing at once, right? In this case, what we end up seeing is that he gives us the Scriptures progressively and deals with things in a progressive manner. So there's some Scripture that would, that would be for a time, and, and, and again, this is going to be where this specific thing, there's going to see some differences even with Bud and I. I'm going to say there's certain Scriptures that are for specific people at specific times, so I'm going to see more of a distinction with Israel and the church more than Bud would. Does that, make, does that mean Bud doesn't agree with this? No, Bud's going to agree with the fact that there are specific scriptures written for specific people. In other words, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not for you unless, as we read in verse 10, 
you're part of the the Babylonian captivity. If you're part of that 70-year Babylonian captivity, then verse 11 is for you. If not, then that was directed toward them. Does that mean that the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, has no meaning to us? No. What was the direct meaning? The direct meaning was to those who lived through the 70-year captivity. It was direct to them. However, what do we learn from it? The principle we can learn from it is God was faithful to them over those 70 years, faithful to them coming out of those 70 years in such a way that he will be faithful to us in our life. The things he promised to them, he fulfilled, and the things he promised to us, he will fulfill. Is there application we can glean from that? Yes. Are there principles we can learn from that? Yes. Is it directed directly to us? No. And for those of you that are cringing at that and saying, but this is my life verse, then just go down to verses like 17 and 18, read that and make that your life verse. That God knows the plans he has for you, plans of destruction, of famine, of sword, of sickness. We choose these things because we want them to, we like them, and right? But those were specifically di- directed to certain individuals at certain times. Yeah. Not all of the scripture is that way but some of it is. No, generally though, what you've said, I I agree with because the particulars always represent principles in some fashion. We may not understand them all, but uh, the one you cited, yeah, that's a particular situation for a, for a moment in time, for a specific purpose and specific people. But like you said, it reveals a principle of how God consistently acts um, on behalf of his people. And so I quote there, Second Peter one twenty one, which which states, "For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God." Mm-hmm. That that's the, what's caught up there is that the fact that there's there, there's no prophecy. That, okay, that th- this prophecy is not made by men. They didn't come up with this. They were, the, the way that it says here is that the, the, moved by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from God, okay? So this is God doing it. Now, this is directed to designated individuals. Why is that important? Because it doesn't mean that all of us have the gift of prophecy. We should go to church and go to a church where they have a school of, pro- of, of supernatural gifts and prophecy. That's Bethel. They teach you how to have prophecy. That's not what Peter said. Peter said this is the Holy Spirit who does it on designated individuals for a particular time. Yes, right. And and directed by the Holy Spirit. You can't conjure this up. So you have all the New Apostolic Reformation. They're trying to conjure all this stuff up. This is why I say doctrinal statements are so important. If you're seeing a church that says that they teach prophecy, that's not what Scripture says. Second Peter one twenty one. You exactly. look at that, and, and, and this is why I understand doctrinal statements like this are important. This is why I would say, why am I against the New Apostolic Reformation? Because this is why. When it comes to Holy Scriptures, they believe, every, they believe people can be taught to have prophecy, that they can conjure it up, and yet this is directed by the Holy Spirit to, to distinct designated individuals that the Holy Spirit chose to do, this to give this. And by the way, if that's prophecy, if they really are doing prophecy, that is equal in authority of Scripture. You can't be wrong. These guys admit that they're wrong, you know, that they're, they're, they're right 70 to 80% of the time. That's not so with Scripture. Scripture is 100% accurate. No error. 
And so when you have someone that says that they're, they have prophecy, it's got to be held to the same standard as prophecy, Scripture, okay? So in all of these guys, every single one of these Word of Faith, New Apostolic Reformation guys that were making prophecies in 2020 or for 2020, all predicted a great year, a year of vision, and more importantly, every one of them predicted Donald Trump would win the election and 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 be in office, not just win the election, but be in office, consecutive, two consecutive terms. So now we know they were wrong. So every single one of them that made those prophecies should be rejected. Technically, from if you're going to look at the Old Testament, they should be stoned. Now, what did I just do? Going back to how we're, I'm applying this, limited to space and time as directed by uh, two various designated individuals. Why don't we stone these people? I would say because we're not under the Old Testament laws. We're not the nation of Israel. And so we don't stone them. But you should be avoiding them, please. <laughs> Mark and avoid. That I think would that's, kind of be Pauline language. <laughs> it's kind of biblical. All right. Any any questions that you have there? Should we move on to the next sentence? I'm good with that. I would point out though that it is to man. He didn't give scripture to angels. Uh, he gave it to man. Uh, very important, and not from man, but to man, as you as you pointed out. Yeah, when we when we get to the study of angels, and I'm going to do this throughout this series, is mention things we'll talk about later because the repetition is good in stuff like this. But when we talk about angels, First Peter talks about the fact that when it comes to our salvation, I think also with the idea of scripture, this is things that angels look and long, long for. Yeah. They I long understand. for this. They can't, they, they've not experienced something like this. They don't know what it's like to receive scripture. Yeah. Okay. They don't know that. They don't know what it's like to be converted to, to God. They, they don't understand it. They don't, they, they, they long after those things. So that's a, a neat thing. So, so we're an hour in only into the first sentence. We're good to go. Uh, I think we're going to get through two more sentences. We'll go a little bit long because we did do a little bit longer news section, and uh, and and we wanted to do an intro to the to the whole series. But the the next sentence, the accepted writings that make up the Bible are the thirty nine Old Testament books and the twenty seven New Testament books, without any additional writings commonly known as the apocrypha. Okay, now I hope you're seeing already just one sentence. How much we can unpack with this. Okay, there's so much here that we're trying to be concise. Now, the second sentence is really addressing what happened in the 1500s. When the Reformation occurred, the Roman Catholic Church's response was to try to argue that what they were teaching was biblical. Uh, The Reformers were arguing it wasn't, so what did the Catholic Church do? They ended up at that time, in the 1500s, canonizing additional books that we call the Apocrypha, or Hidden. And they're the mysterious books that were, they were considered part of the Bible, but not the Bible. And then in 1500s, they're the Bible. Now, I would argue politically what this is, is they were making a lot of their arguments from books that were outside of the canon of Scripture that was accepted at the time. That was being pointed out. And so they canonized, they basically said, we, we declare these books Scripture as well. And now our arguments are biblical, okay? These books are mostly Old Testament books, but one of the things to look at with the Apocrypha is the fact that, first off, the Jewish people never accepted these books as canon. One of the things of canon, canon basically means a measurement. When we study the the bibliology, we talk of canon. It's the measure 
of, of what is Scripture and what isn't, okay? And so there's a standard for that. One of the, those standards is that it had to be accepted at the time as, as being from God, from Scripture. And so this was not accepted as the Word of God for over 1,500 years, over 2,000 years technically, okay? Because you had it, their Old Testament books, some of them mm-hmm. going back. Uh, there's additions to the book of Daniel. They go back that far. Some are in the intertestimonial period, the, those four, 400 years of silence, you have the Maccabees. And so these are books that Jewish people saw as valuable, the same way you might see the works of Josephus as valuable, or your concordance as valuable, or things like that. They're valuable. You may even have a section of your Bible for a concordance or archaeology, things like that. That doesn't mean it's scripture. It's included because it's valuable. It's helpful. And that's what you would see with the Apocrypha. They were seen as valuable for Jewish culture, understanding Jewish culture and history. They were not seen as scripture by the rabbis, nor by the early church. It was, it was when they would put the Bible into books. Yes, we see those books included sometimes because they're valuable works, but they're not inspired works. There was a difference. And so it wasn't until the 1500s that people started looking at those works as inspired. So we want to be really specific that the 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books are the books we're saying are Holy Scripture. This, what does this exclude? It excludes the Apocrypha. What else does it exclude? The Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants. Those are all the Mormon books. It excludes the Quran. It excludes anything outside of these 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. What does it also do? It also addresses issues of people like Martin Luther, who had trouble rectifying because he was came from a Catholic background that used James as a proof of salvation by works, so much so that he couldn't reconcile it with Paul's writings on salvation by grace. And so he thought James was not inspired. So what you end up having there is he would exclude that book. Well, the reality in that, and we'll see that when we get to soteriology a bit, uh, is the fact that James is dealing with, well, let me start with Paul is dealing with regeneration, that the first step in the process. After that, it becomes the process of sanctification, or maybe more right in the, more like Christ, that process has works. That's what James is talking about. They're talking about two different doctrines. This is the thing you're going to see as we go throughout this, folks. The precision that we have here is helpful because what this does is help us to understand when people come to us, when different religions come to us, where they get things wrong is they're usually not precise in their language, and they have a broader aspect to the what they say. So they'll say salvation, and they're reading sanctification, and then using it for regeneration. And you got to be precise with this stuff. So what else does this exclude? Well, this excludes the Roman Catholic Church's view of the uh, magisterium, the church being equal in authority with scripture. It excludes the traditions as equal in authority of scripture, because what that does is that then puts that as the level of scripture, making it, well, scripture, because it's, it's something written down that would then be from God. It also excludes, in, in Judaism, it will exclude uh, the, the Mishnah, the Midrash, the Talmud. What are those? Well, you, you, you end up seeing in, in, in Judaism, you have uh, the, the, they have a written law, oral law, and then commentaries on those two. The only thing we would end up seeing, okay, is the Old Testament is God's word, but not the commentary on the Old Testament, not the oral law. 
not the commentary on the oral law. We wouldn't see those three. So that that's what this one sentence is, what it's defining and distinguishing. But Scripture is over the church. The church is not over Scripture. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I'm sure you, play, yeah. you latenized that from someone else. I, I probably did. I, I don't know. <laughs> the other thing, just because I, I, I had at one point audited uh, a seminary class, and this question came up from uh, another student, and uh, I, I was kind of surprised. But what this also means is that when you read in Scripture, and you do this and you see this in the Old Testament, where the author, the inspired author, will reference some other work that's not in Scripture, you know, the book of the wars of whomever, or when you get to the New Testament, even like Enoch is quoted. And the question that I heard in this uh, audit class I was taking was, so if we had the book of Enoch, because Jude references the prophecy of Enoch in his epistle, if we had the book, would it be considered inspired? No. The citation of an inspired writer to an extra biblical source is itself inspired, but it does not lend credence to the inspiration of a book that we don't have. So when you see those references in scriptures to extra biblical texts, um, whatever may be cited from them, you can count as inspired, but you cannot count the entire extra biblical book, in which case we don't have them as inspired and, and missing. So Let's deal with why people make that argument. People make that argument because what they're trying to do is say that we're missing something of the Bible. We have lost books of the Bible. Now, if you hear people talk about missing books or lost books of the Bible, that phraseology is purposeful. It it is a a logical fallacy because it's leading the the question, okay? It's, It's what it's trying to do is get you to think there's something missing just by the phraseology. Yeah, right. And so... What we see is that there's nothing missing in the Bible. That's the point of this statement. We have the Bible. Now, no one makes that argument. Paul will write about the accretion poet. He writes this to Titus. No one yeah. thinks that's Scripture, but yet he cites accretion poet. Yeah. Is that Scripture? No, he's citing them. No different than citing a, a book of Enoch that may have existed at a time when they there were a knowledge of it. So, that's okay. There, there's... Plenty of quotations or references, citations to in Kings and Chronicles, you know, and the rest of the writings are written in the Chronicles of the Kings, you know, and yet you, you go through Chronicles and Kings and you don't see more there and you go, well, where, where is that book? Well, we don't have it. Uh, Paul refers to a letter he wrote in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians isn't the first letter to the Corinthians. It's the exactly. second and In fact, we even think there might be a, a third between the two and that what we call Second Corinthians is actually his fourth letter to them. Well, what we have about the Corinthians indicates that they were so messed up, it probably took at least four letters. <laughs> so. Yeah, but, but notice that he wrote at least three, possibly four letters to the Corinthian church, and only two of them were Scripture. Yeah. That's the thing that this is trying to, to address. So, so what this does, and we'll get into this more detail next week, but it's not the writer of Scripture that makes it inspired. Mm-hmm. It's not the uh, it's not God directing through a pen so that the writer had nothing to do with it. It, it. They wrote, and yet God inspired that writing, but not everything they wrote. And so, and the fact that they make citations doesn't make that scripture. So the argument people make with the Book of Enoch or others is try to 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 get people to doubt the Bible. That's the goal of it. You don't know the meaning of the Bible. You don't even know if you have the Bible. And people believe those arguments. 
And well, yeah, and you make the point later in paragraph two that we're not going to make it to, but we have everything in Scripture we need for life and godliness. It's there. There's Correct. nothing missing. God has given us everything we need. That's right. And, and why? Well, let's deal with this this last sentence that we'll deal with today. The Bible provides the only inerrant and absolutely authoritative propositional knowledge of God that exists. Okay, there's a lot in here, so let's break this down. What does inerrant mean? It, it means it is without error. Now, in the original writings, and I'm being very precise here, in the original writings of Scripture, it was without error and without flaw. There was not a single error. Now, can we say that about the manuscripts we have today? Well, there are errors, and this is what we've talked about, and, and we've dealt with this in previous shows about can we, tr- you know, is the Bible reliable? Can we trust the Bible? We have a whole show on that. So go back to past episodes and find that. Maybe I'll try to link it in the show notes. But the issue that we address there is that is you know, as people made copies, they had spelling errors. That's an error. The original didn't have that. And people go, well, we don't have the original. No, we don't. We, we don't. But Scripture says that it, was, it would have been inerrant. It would have been without error. Why would we believe that? Now, this is where I say it goes back to the nature of God. Everything we're going to do, you can hear this a lot, goes back to the attributes, the perfections of God. Okay? God is without error. If he's perfect and he wrote it, it's without error. Right. So, in the original writing, it had no errors in it. And it is absolutely authoritative. Why? Again, because who's the source of it? God. God wrote it. That makes him the absolute authority. Why? Because he created everything. (laughs) By virtue of being the creator of all things, he has the authority that comes with being the creator of everything. That's being God, he has that authority. And it's an absolute authority because of where it comes from, the source, okay? And it's propositional knowledge, okay? So this isn't, this isn't to be some far-fetched thing, okay? This is, this is specifically at directing us on the knowledge that God exists, okay? Now, what am I trying to say with that? This is differentiating what we said earlier between natural revelation and special revelation, Natural revelation, creation, can tell us some things about God. It tells us that he exists, yes, but it doesn't tell us why. It doesn't tell us what he's doing. No, that propositional knowledge comes from Scripture. The the knowledge that God came to earth to die on a cross as a payment of our sin, that we can have salvation, that we are sinners, that we break God's law, that this is what he did for the forgiveness, that comes through revelation. Book of Leviticus, I'll just say. Um, and that it does, because that's what it says in Leviticus. You can't yeah. save yourself. That's in Leviticus. That, that we're unclean. Leviticus, we're unclean. We can't save ourselves. God has to do that. That's in Leviticus. Well, how do we know that? Because we get it from the Word of God. Now, I'm going to say something before but I give, throw this over to you, but for guys like Andy Stanley and his ilk who want to say that we have to detach the Old Testament from the New, or that we shouldn't say, this is true because the Bible says so. It's all about the resurrection. Well, Andy Stanley, how do you know about the resurrection? It's in the Bible. That's what informs you about your re- the resurrection. Oh, yes, you can go to Josephus and Philo and others, but why do they address it? Because it's a historical fact. But are you going to get your information and say the resurrection happened because of these these unsaved historians that aren't trying to say this is what God says, they're just trying to say this is history, rather than 
the word of God? No, it's the word of God. That's why we, we trust it. And that's how we know about the resurrection. You don't know about the resurrection in a propositional knowledge without scripture. So when you try to get yourself away from scripture, you have really rejected the very thing that informs us on everything that we, that God needs us to know. Bud, your, your take. No, I, I, this is so important to understand. And it is so controversial right now in the world that we live in this notion that there is authoritative propositional truth uh, or knowledge. Um, because we live in a world in which everything is subjective and emotional. Scripture's not that way. Scripture is propositional. It's objective truth. It's nature from God makes it authoritative. But it is truth, and it is propositional, and that means it's subjective. We have to think through it. We have to uh, have to meditate on it and understand it. It is not something that we're to get you know, warm fuzzies from and think that we've accomplished something. We're to master it, to study it, to learn it, to know it, because God is a God of, of truth, and it's propositional. Uh, that's, that's extremely important, but it is extremely controversial because we do not live in a world right now that has any value on objective truth. Everything is subjective. Wait, are you saying that Scripture is not for anyone to just interpret any way they want? I, I think you can't do that. In fact, that's actually the verse before the one we looked at. Second Peter one twenty says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. And that's what's built up in that, that whole propositional knowledge, right. is that this is an objective standard. This is not something subjective. This is not something where I can interpret it any way I want. No, there's an objective way to interpret. We all have the same book, so we all are looking at the same book. And this is the thing when people use their experience as, as you know, authoritative. Well, I had this experience. Well, I can't exegete your experience. I'm sorry. You had yeah. that experience, but I can't engage with it to know what actually happened, right? I could see, okay, these are the events that happened. But you're saying that's from God. I don't know. One of the things I always find interesting is, you know, Mormons, Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, they all have the same experiences. So how could they have that experience prove God when others have the same type of experience? Oops. Yeah. You know, um, so what we have to do is look at what the Scripture says. You know, so when someone comes and says, well, you know, I was healed, therefore healing is for day today. We should, have, we should have faith healers. Or I speak in tongues because I speak in tongues. I know it's true. What does Scripture say? You see, we can go to Scripture and look at what the Scripture says. That's an objective thing that now we can disagree on how we're interpreting it. That's a different issue. But we have a standard that's objective. We all come to it. Now we, we end up having to say, okay, what are the rules of interpretation? That's a different issue. But it's not, well, I'm right because God came to me in a dream. Maybe you were doing mushrooms. Maybe it was just a hallucinatory drug that you accidentally took and didn't know better. And... You thought you saw God coming to you. Same people think that, you know, pink elephants are coming to him. I remember in college, a guy that thought he was being attacked by a pink elephant that was coming from the wall. And he was really screaming at me to help him. I'm looking at the wall, looking at him, being like, dude, what were you on? <laughs> and then right? you took off your Dumbo mask, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know I got a big nose, but it really isn't that big. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so folks, we're going to continue this next week, and next week is going to be a really important one when we deal with inspiration, superintending. Superintending is a, a super important doctrine. Uh, it's it's it is one that we'll spend a little bit of time on because so few people understand that one, and it answers so many of the conflicts and things in Scripture. So I really want to encourage you to to go, and, and maybe this week, go to strivingfraternity.org, go to the About section, look up what we believe, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But if you go there, go and read through the entire statement. And, and what we tried to do is make it where it's kind of a quick reference, so we collapse them all down, each of the seven sections, so you can click the plus sign and expand it out. The scriptures are right there for you to, to hover over, and you'll be able to, to get the links to the scriptures even. And so I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to, to check that out, um, because that's something that uh, really will help you in in your study of Scripture, it'll, I believe it'll help you as you're going to try to look uh, for, you know, if you happen to have, um, you know, you're looking for a church, I think this will be helpful to you. I think that this is something that uh, hopefully as you, as you study the Scriptures, you will, you will see this as uh, something that will help you um, in looking for churches in Evaluating, and also when you come upon people who argue um, for different belief systems, I hope that this will be something you can go back and reference. That's what we wanted, and that's why we're spending time to unpack this a bit. Any closing things you you have, Bud? No, I would just point out that there is a link on the website if you want a print a printer friendly version of it, which is what I did. So. Uh, if you if you want to print it out, study it, read it. I mean, it's it's a great resource. Yeah, I, see, I forgot that we could do that, but yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, it's right right up top. I, sh- I should yeah, I forgot that we had the print print only version. So there, uh, but uh, it, it, and I'm just did to see. So yeah, it is twelve pages. There we go. So, folks, I hope this is helpful to you. We're going to continue the series next week. We're going to continue for a while um, because we we think it's important for us to discuss what the scriptures believe. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that you enjoy. And Bud's going to accuse me of, of missing something. Uh, I was I, thinking. Yeah, you're thinking. Yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> I'm not going to forget our sponsors, even though we had some important things here. Just there wasn't a good, you know, we just, I knew that I was going to save it for the end. So that's what I'm going to do. Folks, that's a wrap. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Are you tired of pillows that go flat or every couple of years you they smell bad and what are you going to do with them? You can't wash them because that ruins the pillow. They don't stay in that same shape. Well, my pillow is the answer. Get a my pillow. These are premium pillows that never go flat. You can wash them as many times as you want and best of all, they're made right here in the USA. Go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listeners and you promo code SFE that stands for striving for eternity or you can call 1-800-873-0176 that's 800-873-0176 and use promo code SFE hey bud the music in that commercial is pretty good it's it almost sounded it almost yes. sounded like the intro to uh, music I heard from the Bud Zone. I think that's the outro, but yes. Yeah. yeah, there we go. I got that from you. Thank you, Bud. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.